It's Tuesday afternoon as I record this podcast, and a lot has changed since our last episode was released just a couple of days ago. All of Florida's top pass catchers are out of Wednesday's Cotton Bowl. We already knew Kyle Pitts wasn't going to be there. And Monday, Kadarius Toney and Trevon Grimes opted out, Florida's top two receivers. And the Gators' third best receiver, Jacob Copeland, tested positive for COVID, so he won't play either. Further, starting corner Marco Wilson also opted out of this game. Dan Mullen said earlier today on Tuesday that he'll have around 60 scholarship players for the Cotton Bowl. The roster minimum this season to play a game was 53. As a result, Oklahoma moved from a three-point underdog on Sunday to a three-point favorite by Monday evening. Pretty wild to see a six-point line move that didn't have anything to do with the availability of both starting quarterbacks. As far as we know, Trey Brown is the only OU starter to opt out of the Cotton Bowl. As of this recording, everybody else is good to go. The Sooners are scheduled to arrive in Dallas late Tuesday ahead of Wednesday's game. Here's the deal. A handful of Florida's best players skipping this game should not mean one damn thing to everybody on that Oklahoma roster. I guarantee you it means absolutely nothing to Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, and the rest of the coaching staff. Riley's still looking for his first bowl victory as the head coach at Oklahoma. Sure, he's 0-3 and they've all been playoff losses to really good SEC teams, but the Sooners were embarrassed in two of those games and blew a two-touchdown second-half lead in the other. You better believe... Lincoln Riley is taking this game seriously. So the question is, will the players take it seriously? Because, well, it sure doesn't seem like some of Florida's best players are putting a lot of stock into the Cotton Bowl. Here's why players on the Oklahoma roster have absolutely no business brushing off this Florida team. You guys have absolutely no right to look at yourselves as above anybody at this stage. This is a young Oklahoma team that lost to Kansas State, that did everything it could to give Iowa State a win early in the year and succeeded, and then the next week tried desperately to let Texas win inside the Cotton Bowl, and thankfully failed at that. For a month, from late October to late November, the Sooners clicked on all cylinders, TCU, Texas Tech, Kansas, Oklahoma State. But in the two games since then, the defense has carried this team, while the offense struggled to move the ball against Baylor and then did just enough in the end against Iowa State. This Sooners team has absolutely zero right to think they're bigger and better than a team like Florida, even with all of those players out. This is a team who's been embarrassed on the national stage two years in a row. Sure, Alabama and LSU were awesome the last two years, and Oklahoma's defense wasn't very good and or shorthanded. It made sense that the Sooners were exposed in those games, but you know what would not make any sense? For this Sooners defense to get exposed by a team without its four best pass catchers. But hey, if, if the OU players want to pretend like they're world beaters and all they got to do is show up to beat Florida, well, get ready for a whole different kind of embarrassment. When you lose to a team that everybody expected you to beat because over 50% of their offensive production just decided to skip the game. This is a fantastic opportunity for Oklahoma. They've got a chance to win the Cotton Bowl convincingly and catapult themselves into 2021 with the mindset that, yeah, you know what? We can win a national championship. You know what kind of teams don't win national championships? 
the kind of teams with the mentality that they can show up and beat Florida without any sort of track record or evidence that they actually can. A day ago, a listener referenced the Oklahoma Boise State Fiesta Bowl to me on Twitter saying, you know, with all those Florida opt-outs, there's nothing to gain here in this game. I disagree with that. If Oklahoma wants to be a team that schools like Alabama and Clemson and Florida take seriously, they've got to go out and take care of business in a game they're now supposed to win. Florida is still going to be a challenge. Look at that spread. Again, it's Sooners by just three. Just a field goal in Arlington, a place Oklahoma has played a bunch. They just played there a couple weeks ago. In Florida, well, they don't play there. What do you think this number would be if Theo Weiss, Marvin Mims, Austin Stogner, who's probably going to be out anyways, and say Jeremiah Hall were all out of this game? And the Gators on their side were simply missing just one of their starting corners, but everybody else was going to be there. How much would Florida be favored by? 10? 14? More than that? OU has plenty to play for in this Cotton Bowl. Lincoln Riley knows it. I just hope his message is heard loud and clear by his players. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. Welcome into the show. A bit of an unorthodox pre-Cotton Bowl episode for you all today. Grant is out. He's traveling the United States or, or something like that. So in his stead, we've got friend of the show, Brady Trantham, here to provide his unique insight into this matchup. You can hear Brady on the franchise radio station in Oklahoma City, 1077 The Franchise. And also, you can hear him on the Inside OU podcast along with Keegan Renault talking OU football. Brady was last with us very early on in 2020, and I believe April he joined the podcast. We rewatched the OU Notre Dame game from 2013, but now Brady is here to talk about the, a game that hasn't even happened yet. So, uh, Brady, thanks for joining the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Just uh, enjoying the lovely weather in Oklahoma City in late December. Uh, it could be worse, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's weird to think that was back in March right when this all started and where everything was at the time and where we are now. And it's still a nightmare, don't get me wrong, but I want things to go back to normal as soon as possible. But uh, see, we seem to be in a little bit more higher spirits in some way just because, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel, I guess. So the season's coming to an end. Um, as much as I love college football and love OU football, I'm kind of thankful for that too. So I don't know how you feel covering it a little bit from a different angle than I do, but um, I'm just glad that we are winding this season down. I get that. Uh, I, I would prefer more games, like kind of like Lincoln Riley said a while back. He, he wanted these guys to play more. I, I, th- I think in hindsight, I think, the, I think they could have played a full season, um, considering that some teams did. Some teams played 12, 11 games. But yeah. uh, I'm, glad they got, I'm glad they got, what, they're at 10? Are they not 9? This will I be their 9, nine yeah, right now. Like, I'm a weird numbers history nerd when it comes to college or OU football. And when the West Virginia game got canceled – my big thing at the time was, oh great, Lincoln Riley can't on pay, can't in theory win ten games now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He can't have double digit wins. So I mean, of course, so you have to go and win them for that to even happen in the first place. But that was my big. Oh, that kind of sucks. <laughs> right, right. No, I'm with you on that. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's definitely going to be well, the whole asterisk next to this season thing. But for in that sense, yeah, like they, they didn't get a chance to play as many games. But, uh, yeah, I, I can see how that would be annoying, especially somebody that's kind of OCD as well, because this team is good enough to win uh, a, you know, 10 games again, certainly if they would have played the, 
the regular allotment of non-conference matchups as well. Uh, not to mention they had that one Big 12 game uh, canceled, which was weird. But uh, yeah, for you, though, I mean, you, you got all the Thunder stuff going on right now. So, I mean, you had OU football, and now you're going to be going, getting into a, a bizarre NBA season. So I, I can see how you'd want to just be done with it and, and move on to the Thunder. And uh, what a lot of fans want is a tanking-type season. But uh, it's intriguing to me because I think they still have a lot of good players on the team. And Oh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. No, but the, we don't have to. the uh, starting five is fairly good. I mean, they're going to be competitive and – every game that they're going to play in now of course i think george hill and al horford are resting tonight so i mean it kind of puts the right. mix on that and they're they're playing the undefeated orlando magic which i mean if 2020 was already kind of weird uh that sentence felt weird to say but um <laughs> no and you kind of reminded me before we went on i got to ask mark dagnall and al horford the ever important question of what are your cotton bowl predictions because mark dagnall was a florida assistant under billy donovan and al horford played collegiately at florida so two gators uh playing in oklahoma city tonight I'm sure they'll they'll appreciate that question if they get it. <laughs> They're like, "What's going? What's even going on?" Horford's not going to play. <laughs> yeah, like what? Um, so yeah, Brady also is a is a Thunder insider, so you you all can catch him talking Thunder for the the, the next seventy Thunder games, oh. and then uh, probably probably not anymore because uh, this team's very unlikely to make the playoffs, as everyone knows. So let's get into the Cotton Bowl talk. And there's a narrative going around now after all of the top. Florida pass catchers have opted out of the game uh, I heard from a listener on Twitter saying that eh, there's nothing to gain from this game now uh, I, others are saying it's a it's a lose-lose I was able to listen to a little bit of you and Keegan's Inside OU podcast for Monday and I believe you guys talked about this a little bit uh, remind me and our listeners that haven't listened to your podcast kind of where do you stand on on this story look it's such a weird situation in the first place if we're just talking about a normal season where players are opting out now if this was a normal season i would fully expect the majority of florida players to a be up for this game because it is it's you're playing oklahoma yeah you're disappointed that you didn't make the playoff yeah you're disappointed that you came up short against alabama and it was a phenomenally fun entertaining big 12 championship played down in the sec title game according to the score but that's a different story uh, i get the disappointment but you are playing oklahoma if they're playing cincinnati or coastal carolina I get that sentiment even in a normal season of some players like Kyle Pitts, Grimes, those guys deciding, eh, I don't want to risk it. It's an exhibition game. They have more to play for than we do. I'm just going to save my body and mind for the combine and the NFL draft. Um, so I'm never really going to dog on kids for not playing. Simply as a college football fan, I would rather see the top players play, of course, just like everybody else. Uh, but this, and I said it on the podcast yesterday, and I, I come at... OU football from kind of the guise of a crazy, paranoid, silly fan most of the time. Um, <laughs> but the sheer number of opt-outs from Florida is starting to border on downright disrespect. They're playing Oklahoma. Like, they are playing the University of Oklahoma. This is, I mean, Florida has won national championships recently. They've won two since 2000, so therefore more than Oklahoma. But Florida is still relatively new money when compared to a program like OU. And so I would have thought that, hey, it's such a quick turnaround. You don't have to you don't have the usual month off in between the SEC title game and then the bowl game. So just give it one more week. Go through all the COVID restrictions. Go through all the, the harsh realities of playing football in a pandemic where you're not allowed to probably have as much fun as you would want to as a 20-year-old kid in college. Uh, just give it one more week because you're playing Oklahoma and but at the end of the day 
I don't know all their individual situations, of course. So just as a fan, I'm just a little bummed. And then I'm not really subscribing that much to the, oh, it's a lose-lose situation for Oklahoma because now there's all these excuses if Florida loses, and they should lose because they're missing a lot of quality players. Look, OU, when they play Kansas, it's not a lose-lose situation. OU needs to go out there and take care of business and look good doing it. And now this game went from a, a very competitive game that Florida was favored in to Oh, you need to go down there and take care of business now. There's there's no excuse uh, for the Cotton Bowl now uh, that Florida has all these players missing it. Yeah, and I agree with you, uh, definitely, especially on that last part. Um, the, the the beginning part about the guys opting out, sure, uh, it's it's one of those things where everyone's different. If they don't want to play, they don't have to play. That's that's fine. Um, I, but that, I'm with you though. Whenever you you say, hey, uh, it's what is it? there was a 10 day break I think between the championship game SEC Big 12 title game and this one it's it's the shortest turnaround we've we've ever seen during these uh, during these games so why not just take an extra you know, one yeah. and a half weeks more of of all the COVID protocols and not to mention all these guys got to go home anyways for Christmas so it's not like it was a a normal regular season week where they had to be extra careful granted you got to be careful uh, if, if you will but they still got to go home and do things and uh, honestly by this time of the year uh, both teams I think at, at certain points we know Oklahoma uh, I'm not sure about Florida but I think they've they probably got had COVID issues here and you know back and forth so how many guys you know maybe don't even need to get tested because they've already had it at this point so maybe some guys got got to go home and just uh, do normal things so I'm, I'm with you in, in that sense and that's why I was surprised that a guy like Trey Brown uh, opted out because when he did, Florida still had all these players that were going to play, and he could showcase his talents against a really good passing attack. But instead, he decided to go out on a high note. And now it's looking a little different now for him that he opted out because other, everybody else opted out, so maybe he feels better. Or everyone on Florida, maybe he feels better. But I, I do think it's kind of weird from a competitive standpoint that you don't want to stick with your team and, and, and play that one extra game. But the main thing, though, is is kind of what everyone thinks. Is they're getting ready for the NFL. They're looking towards their future. They, wanna, they don't want to risk getting hurt. And the game to them doesn't matter as much. And I think from Oklahoma's standpoint, it certainly means a lot more to the Sooners or should, should mean a lot more to the Sooners on paper than it does to Florida. And I think that can be what we can talk about right now. And Because and, and, I'm with you. I, Oklahoma needs to take care of business in this game. The big question to me is, will Oklahoma's players take this game seriously the way that you know, we on the outside, you know, the fans think they should. And I, and I do think a guy like Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, the entire coaching staff, I think will take this game incredibly seriously considering that Riley hasn't won a bowl game yet. And, and, and Alex Grinch, his defense was embarrassed last year by LSU. They, they, they want to show out well, the coaching staff does, but will the players, from their perspective, do you think they will go into this game not overlooking, not that you can overlook a team because this is their last game, but will, will they go into this game seriously considering you know Florida being a team that can beat them? Yeah, I think they absolutely should. I mean, again, there's really no excuse. I think the quick turnaround is really going to help that because Oklahoma, I mean, classically in, in the modern sense, they're a team that is so predicated on rhythm and especially under Lincoln Riley. So if we're talking about a normal, the Big 12 championships played December 2nd or 3rd, and then you wait all the way till the end of December, beginning of January for your bowl game, I can see kind of a loss of focus, especially with being able to go home, uh, relaxing the COVID protocols in this day and age. I can see a lack of, of focus. But with it being such a quick turnaround with OU having, I think Keegan told me that OU's practicing six or seven times compared to Florida's three or four in preparation for this game. So there should be no 
we should have no observations early on of like, man, the offensive line looks out of sync or man, the receivers look a tad slow. Like, no, they should look very much like the team that performed against Iowa state, the team that performed against Oklahoma state. Um, I mean the Baylor game, notwithstanding because of all that COVID circus that befell the team back then. But, um, I'm fully expecting OU to be ready to look like a team in midseason form, uh, if not getting into late season form for them. Will that result in a victory? I don't know, because what we're going sure. to find out is, yes, Florida's defense is statistically bad. Uh, maybe, I, I don't really know for certain, but maybe average is probably a better way to describe them. But uh, they are going up against Alabama. They are going up against other teams in the SEC at Texas A&M that have high-powered offenses. So, I mean, we as OU people should know, fully understand just because your defensive numbers look bad doesn't necessarily mean your defense is bad. And while OU's defenses uh, before Alex Grinch got here started to get comically bad, you know, those 2015 defenses, the 2013 defenses that were giving up yards and points, they weren't bad. It was just simply a byproduct of your defense is playing a lot of snaps because you're playing in an air raid uh, conference. So, um, that's going to be the big thing that we're going to find out relatively quick. But I think just from the sheer firepower Florida lost um, and OU's understanding of the focus and what's at stake here, because they are playing for something. They are playing for 21. I mean, Spencer Rattler is playing to get into the driver's seat for the Heisman next year, the driver's seat for potentially the number one overall pick uh, following next season. And then, of course, OU as a team is looking to springboard into 21 as a national title favorite, not just a team in the conversation like they have been but as a favorite and going out there and picking apart Florida even though they have all these players opting out if they beat the crap out of them in such a way oh you can kind of look at that and say it wouldn't have mattered if they had their dudes because we beat them in such a way that it didn't matter it wouldn't have mattered so that's what I'm looking forward to yeah that's a great point that's a great point and this is the first time since Lincoln Riley has been the head coach at Oklahoma where we can we can look towards the next season and look at the bowl game as some sort of jumping off point. Granted, the last three have been playoff games, so the thought was that they could play another game if they won. Yeah. This is the first time we know for sure this is going to be the last game. But my point was going to be, though, as you mentioned Spencer Rattler, this is the first time that we know that next season Oklahoma will have the same quarterback that they had this year. Well, <laughs> now, I mean, Lincoln's going to tell you something different maybe in spring and summertime, <laughs> but, I mean, that's a different story. <laughs> Yeah, Chandler Jones, he, he did have that touchdown in the uh, Big 12 title. Oh, Chandler game. Morris? He could. Chandler, Ch yeah. Chandler, who's Chandler Jones? Um, I'm sure he's a – Somebody I just made up? He's a four-star four out of Grapevine, I'm, I'm certain. That sounds like a four-star quarterback name. Uh, yeah, Chandler Morris. Uh, boy, I already, I already forgot him after that Big 12 title game Jump touchdown. up to second string and we'll remember your name. <laughs> Which I guess technically he's there. Oh, so boy. I should have so remembered. True freshman backup now, in a bowl game. Yeah, now that now that Mordecai's gone, but uh, yeah, so they can actually use this game, considering that a lot of players will be back next year, and we already have heard of some even some defensive guys that maybe you wouldn't anticipate being back uh, returning. I know that uh, Dusty talked about on, on the the Blitz a, a week or two ago that he's heard that Perry on Winfrey is is going to come back, barring some somebody getting into his head and, and changing his mind. He, he's heard that Jalen Redmond's planning on being back which would be an incredible boost, especially if a guy like Ronnie Perkins leaves for the draft. But it sounds like Perkins hasn't fully decided yet either. Who knows if even like Ramondre Stevenson on the offensive side comes back. He hasn't committed anything. But, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where this game, if it goes very well for Oklahoma, it, maybe some of those players that are on the fence that 
don't get the best draft grade that they think they would, maybe they will consider coming back. So uh, there's a lot to play for, as you said, in this game. Yeah, and I mean, the thing about Perry on Winfrey, Ronnie Perkins, and all those guys, as much as I want to get excited for 21, really what really puts Oklahoma in the driver's seat potentially for a national championship run next season is if all those guys come back. If they don't, if one or two of them decide to leave, I mean, oh, you still going to be very much in the conversation. Uh, they're going to be in the driver's seat for the Big 12, no question. So that is potentially a good springboard into the playoff. But if we're talking about, I mean, even a guy like Isaiah Thomas, who can, in theory, come back if he decided to. I mean, if he came back and put on another year of film and made slight improvements, that's a guy that can get in the second round easy. So if we're talking about returning Isaiah Thomas, along with Nick Benito, who's not draft eligible just yet, I think, uh, with Ronnie Perkins, who could potentially return, Perion Winfrey, Josh Ellison, all those guys, that's been the big thing that has kept OU behind the Clemsons, the Alabamas, and even, I guess, the Ohio States is the trenches, and especially on the defensive side of the football. And with a year under their belt of great film, and then hopefully, God willing, a normal offseason, if we're allowed to have that once springtime rolls around, the sky's the limit for this team because they're going to be able to control the line of scrimmage with just their front three or four. And that's something OU fans have not been able to say since, I mean, probably Gerald McCoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and it all starts potentially in this game because they don't play well, they don't show up, they don't care. And they play poorly, or they, they, you know, God forbid, they lose to this Florida team that's down all these players on offense. That's going to just set up a terrible yeah. uh, beginning for 2021 because it's going to tell me, even though the team is going to be different next year, it'll just tell me that these guys aren't serious. They're not serious about actually becoming champions and, and winning because these are games where, even though the other team is, in theory, not taking it as seriously as you. I, the rest of Florida's roster that's going to play, I think they're taking it seriously just because four or five guys aren't doesn't mean that the rest of the team at Florida is not. And there's a lot of players that are going to be excited to step up in this game. So as a competitor, uh, you know, you, I'm not sure what sports you played, uh, Brady. Or what, what, when you were an athlete, what did you do? I played defensive end and a little quarterback, but I played – I played high school football in Idaho. So, sure. I mean, what level of football are we talking about? <laughs> it, it doesn't matter as long as you played. I mean, it, it, as long as you played and you've been in a locker room and you know what that's like, you can at some level kind of relate to any sort of level of football or any sport for that matter because you understand what the team mentality yeah. is. And when it comes to football, whenever you're a team like Oklahoma, who, again, last year a lot of the same players on this team were embarrassed against LSU, now you have a chance in front of a national audience – against another SEC team, and you know that you're a lot better this year, to me it would sound very fun as a player on the team to go out there and beat the crap out of Florida yeah. and just kick them around. And so if, if there's anybody on that roster that's not thinking that, to me that's very weird. It's bizarre. And so if they don't go out there and, and play really hard, and I don't know if they're going to beat the crap out of them, but at least play well and look like they want to be there, that's going to be a problem for me. Yeah, and I guess the overarching theme of this game that OU should really take to heart, and hopefully Lincoln Riley is like hammering this home to the to the locker room as we speak, um, is simply that, if, are you tired of hearing, uh, I mean, what was his name, James Houston, the Florida linebacker who said that OU's just yes, not on yes. Florida's level or not SEC talent. If you're tired of hearing that, look, we have done our part to perpetuate that stigma by getting to the playoff and Yes, they had their chances against Georgia. They should have won that game. Um, they made it a competitive. They did not quit against Alabama. It was a competitive game at the end, but they were still down 28 to nothing. And then LSU was a complete and utter disaster. We have played our part in that. 
in order to shed ourselves of that stigma, exercise those demons, you got to go out there and kick Florida's ass. I mean, it's 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 as simple as that. I don't care who's playing and not playing. If you want to shed yourself of that stigma little by little, you start here against Florida. And I guess going back to the whole disrespect angle that I talked about a little bit earlier in terms of Florida players opting out, I, I'm fairly certain this isn't a part of it. I'm fairly certain those players are just thinking about not necessarily being selfish, but you know they're they're valuing their future, and especially in a time during a pandemic where none of our futures are really absolutely certain. Especially if even if you're a first round draft pick potentially, um, but I have to think that the whole oh you can't compete with the SEC at this level probably played a little part in that. If OU had won a national title in 2017. I'm not saying that all these Florida players would have opted out, but I feel like there would be a different level of respect for Oklahoma that should be there, but isn't with some players in the SEC and, you know, for better or for worse, maybe Florida would be at full strength. But in order for OU to get back to that level that they've been desperately trying to get back to for the last three or four years, you start here against Florida. I don't care who's playing or not playing. You start tomorrow night in the Cotton Bowl. I'm glad you brought that back up again because I I forgot to touch on that earlier. I think that's a really good point about the 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 disrespect where it, it kind of does look like that. And and I hadn't heard that at all until I, I heard you mention that on your podcast. I think that's a good point because this is a Florida team that a week and a half ago, all of their players were available, obviously to to play in the SEC championship game for a chance to go to the playoff. Maybe if they would have beaten Alabama, but again, they were playing against Alabama. They see that. That school on the other side of the, the line of scrimmage, and, and they're all showing up. Obviously, they're not going to – and, again, I, I understand that's the SEC title game, so, of course, they're going to play no matter who they're playing against. But, in a way, to your point, they're going from playing against Alabama. Now they're playing Oklahoma. Yeah. They, like, the last handful of years, these guys, these guys can't win anything on a national stage unless it's in the Big 12. So, I – I, I, I'm with you. I, I think that definitely probably factors in a little, definitely probably. I, I, I think that probably did factor in a little bit to this because if maybe if they were playing, I can't think of a good, maybe, you know, who knows if, if, if this was Ohio State, if Ohio State hadn't made the playoff, yeah. would these players have opted out? Maybe. And that's your point. But who knows? I, maybe, maybe they wouldn't have. So I think that's a good point by you. And I, I think the easiest example that I could probably use from the past for OU fans, because you're already seeing it on Twitter where OU fans are going, well, great. Now if OU wins, and it's looking like they probably should, they are favored now. Um, if they win, Florida fans are just going to clap back going, we didn't care. I mean, that's always kind of been the thing with the SEC. If it's not a playoff game, they don't care. And if you kind of fancy yourself as a person who gets in arguments on Twitter, um, I'm not here to tell you that you're wrong, but... Um, if you want to get pre-annoyed by that behavior, just OU fans. You remember 2007 when OU played in the Fiesta Bowl? OU had how many players either out because they were suspended or injured? And they were playing a West Virginia team at the time who wasn't in a Power 5 conference. They were kind of a secondary school. I mean, they still kind of are, but um, they were coming from the Big East. They had lost a pit for a chance to go potentially to the BCS championship game at the time. And this was just looking like, OU coming off, beating Missouri number one in the country. This was just looking like, all right, Sam Bradford and company are going to make quick work of this West Virginia team. Oh, they had all these suspensions. Oh, they have all these key guys out. Well, they're still going to make quick work of them, or they don't care. And guess what? West Virginia just beat the living tar out of Oklahoma. And as an OU fan, I get a little embarrassed when I remember that, when I remember that game. So Florida fans are going to sit there, they're going to watch their Florida Gators, and they're going to be pissed off when their Florida Gators potentially get beat 
by Oklahoma. And yes, to keep let themselves go to sleep at night, they'll say, oh, we didn't care. But that's this is why we play oh. the football. This is why we play the football games is uh, yeah. because of this. Yeah, they will care is, is the point. Of course they will care because uh, the reason you brought up with uh, the, the OU West Virginia game, you could say the same thing with the Oklahoma Boise State game. And, and Grant and I argued about this on our last podcast. Uh, he he doesn't buy into that was a lose lose situation uh, because he thought Boise State was better than Oklahoma at the time. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. I don't remember a whole lot from that game because I was younger and didn't follow Oklahoma as closely as I do now. Uh, but I I mean, looking back at that game, I mean, Oklahoma was a seven and a half point favorite. I, I don't know if Boise State was a better team than the Sooners. I've Certainly. always kind of thought and like I mentioned earlier, I, I played in Idaho. I went to my dad was in the Air Force, so I lived there for two years and we moved to Norman right before the Fiesta Bowl and I don't like remembering it but what I do remember about the 06 team that team should not have had any type of arrogance whatsoever about oh we're just Oklahoma we'll go out there and beat them because that team I I, I fondly remember that team I enjoy Paul Thompson when I remember him I appreciate his Mm -hmm. play Uh, he helped OU win a Big 12 championship but that team overachieved and that team you know if, if Texas doesn't choke in Manhattan against Kansas State they weren't going to be in a BCS game or even win the Big 12 title anyway because Texas was a better team that year. So that team should not have walked onto the field arrogant as hell. And Florida, for you know, Florida has the SEC patch on their jersey, but they haven't been the ones beating the crap out of Oklahoma. They haven't even been to a playoff game yet. So for them to sure. act this arrogant, all right, you know, you're just setting yourself up to fail potentially. I hope you can. Uh, I hope you can prove it right. And. I, I don't know how much stock you put into this. I mean, it, it means something. I mean, odds makers, they, they moved it th- six points. It's a big move, but it's still only a three-point spread, and all these guys are out for Florida. And uh, I, I know you didn't uh, – before we, I, I started this, I did an opening take, and you didn't hear that, so you don't know what I said. But I'll, I'll reference something I said in that just so you can comment on it. How would this line look if the roles were flipped and Florida oh. had basically their, their entire team minus – you know, minus their starting corner, you know, Marco Wilson, he's not going to play. So imagine he's out, but Kyle Pitts is available. They're, everybody's in. And on the Oklahoma side, they're without Theo Weiss. They're without Marvin Mims. They're probably not going to have Austin Stogner anyways. And let's say like Jeremiah Hall was out. What's oh. the number in this game? <laughs> oh, I, that would, Is it Florida like 12? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it's double digits. So I think that tells me there's still a little bit of – not a little bit there's still a lot of disrespect on Oklahoma because uh, Florida's missing all these players and it's only a field goal in in a in a venue where Oklahoma is very familiar with yeah so I mean yeah this game this game is not a gimme even with all these guys out you know flipping it back to Oklahoma which is kind of what you're segueing into um, and kind of similar to the 06 team now I will go ahead and say this team is far more talented than the 06 team was uh, that goes without saying but this current Oklahoma Sooner team has completely overachieved when you remember the whole fact that they started off in conference 0 and 2 and they didn't have a non-conference slate to basically pretty up their resume Um, they could have very well lost to Texas in any of those overtimes they could have very well um, if the offense didn't wake back up against Oklahoma State Oklahoma State was within a score of making that interesting um Iowa State nearly came back and won straight up in regulation in the Big 12 championship game. So OU should not go onto the field thinking they don't care about this game. 
we know we're better than them as is right now. So we're just going to, this is going to be a cakewalk. It's, it's stat padding. Everyone's going to high five. It's going to be fun. Like, no, 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 no. Do not go into the game like that because this Oklahoma team, while in- extremely talented, I mean, they followed a similar script basically every single game except for probably, you know, technically Missouri State and then Texas Tech. Uh, Kansas doesn't count either because they're just awful. But basically every game, the offense has looked great for about a quarter and a half. And then they've gone stagnant either because of play calling from Lincoln Riley or because the uh, players themselves aren't executing well. And fortunately for them, they've had a defense that has been able to make up for that. And even though Florida is minus a bunch of skill on offense, we're going to find out if their defense is actually average or not. They could be better than what OU has you know, seen thus far in conference. But we do know for a fact Kyle Trask is going to be the best quarterback that this defense has faced by far. Is he as athletic as Brock Purdy or Sam Ellinger? No, so that should make it, in theory, easy for Nick Benito, Ronnie Perkins, and those guys to get home when they get the pass rusher on. But the offense cannot afford to look like they've looked basically all season long where they look incredible at the start and then go to sleep for two quarters and then hopefully wake back up enough in the fourth to just eke out a win. Um, Eking out a win is important because you just get the win, but like we've already set up, they need to go out there and take care of business and probably look good doing it. So the whole falling asleep on offense cannot happen this week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good points. Uh, Agree with it all. Uh, Real quick, we were talking about the whole lose-lose narrative. I wanted to mention this. Uh, I asked Grant if he had any thoughts on the podcast that he wanted me to pass along to the listeners, and he said that he doesn't buy into this whole lose-lose argument because he says that no one's going to remember or care that Florida's offense didn't have all those players uh, down down the line in the future. And and I think that's kind of playing a little bit to what you brought up a little bit ago about how, you know, people might say they don't care, but really they do. And I I think as time goes on, especially if Oklahoma plays pretty well, and, and wins this game in a certain way, no one's going to care or remember or matter or think it matters that Florida was down all those players. And I, I kind of buy into that because especially now in 2020, the attention spans of people are, are nothing. <laughs> people yeah. forget about stuff so quickly. Yeah, now, I mean, let's kind of fast forward. In, in the scenario where OU, let's say they win by 14 or 17 points, look good doing it. Um, every Offense, defense, special teams all look great against Florida. I mean, fast forward into the spring, into the summer, and then once all the preseason shows on ESPN start up and they start picking their their final fours for the playoff, anybody that picks Oklahoma and then mentions the Florida game like as a springboard, someone's going to rebut with, well, Florida didn't have like half their offense, so let, let, let's still wait until further notice that OU is for real in the playoff picture in terms of beating an SEC opponent or an Ohio State. So that's still going to happen, but... that. Again, that's why I keep reiterating, you start here because, I mean, OU next year, they're going to be super talented. And if they're able to beat an Alabama or um, insert other SEC school here or an Ohio State or a Clemson, um, there's always going to be, well, you know, they just snuck up on them because no one thinks Oklahoma's worth a damn. But to rid yourself of that, you start with Florida and then you work your, you work your way up. Yeah, you're right. And you know, all those debate shows, all the, the radio, you're right. The people will bring that up in, in that scenario you laid out. I think that's definitely true. Let's talk about the, the game, the matchups a little bit, even though, again, we don't know what this Florida team's going to look like offensively without all these players out. We, have, we don't have any tape to watch, any games. All we had before was games to watch without Kyle Pitts because those have happened. But in those games, they also had Kadarius Toney. Uh, they had Grimes and, and Copeland. So they were at mostly full strength. We don't know what Florida's going to do. 
So uh, you already mentioned that Kyle Trask is obviously going to be the best quarterback Oklahoma's faced. Uh, that's definitely correct. Uh, what's he going to do in this game? I, I, I know you're not the, uh, the, the big X's and O's film watcher, but you do watch your, your share of tape and you watch your game. So you've seen Kyle Trask a, a, a good amount. What do, you, what do you think that he's going to look like or with, without a security blanket like Pitts, without a speedster like Tony, without that big body and, and Grimes? How does, that, how does the Florida offense change? Does it change? Do they just plug and play? Uh, how much thought have you given to this at this point? Yeah, well, Keegan's done a great job of pointing this out. And then if you just watch one or two Florida games, um, you can have a zillion different opinions on Kyle Trask. But one thing I think people really come away with is the kid is smart. Like, he is a smart quarterback. And so smart quarterbacks face with disadvantage uh, disadvantages, like not having you know 70% of your <laughs> receiving touchdowns <laughs> playing for you in a bowl game. He's going to try and find out other ways to exploit Oklahoma's defense, which has greatly improved and is, I think, legit in the front seven in terms of a pass rush. Now, the linebackers in coverage, that's going to be you know kind of a question mark. And then the secondary, having greatly, greatly improved, is still the weak link of the Sooner defense because of how great the front three and four um, have played this season. Um, with, with all due respect to Trey Brown, and I laugh because anyone that listens to Inside OU knows how I feel about Trey Brown. I ate a ton of crow after the Big 12 championship game. Um, without his play, OU does not probably doesn't win that game. So thank you, Trey Brown. But if Trey Brown plays in this game, Kyle Trask is probably smart enough to understand if I have a third and long, I'm throwing a jump ball his way. Um, and probably an even an uncatchable jump ball his way because he's going to grab, he's going to tug, and I'm going to leave it up to the official to give us a first down. And more times than not... That has happened over Trey Brown's career, and he's not playing in this game. It's not something I can say for Jaden Davis. It's not something I can even say for Woody Washington, who's playing his, what, seventh game as a cornerback. I uh, can't say that for DJ Graham, but uh, Patrick Fields, DTY, they, they every once in a while will kind of do that. They'll, they'll kind of show some signs of the previous defensive regime's coaching philosophy, I guess you could say, with the whole grab and pull and tug and trying to leave it up to the officials. Um, Kyle Trask is smart enough to see that. Uh, that's what my worry is. And then, of course, like I said, with the linebackers and coverage, um, we haven't really heard Brian Asamoah's name that much this season or Deshaun White's name that much that se this season. And most of it for good because they are doing their jobs, but they're also not either phenomenal or they're not terrible. So we're going to find out because Keegan all season long going into games w would always say basically the same thing. If this opponent tries to exploit the middle of the field against Oklahoma's defense, it will be there. Um, that is, of course, if the pass rush can't get home in time. If they, if he has a clean pocket, Kyle Trask, the middle of the field is always going to be open. But that's kind of the kicker. Will it be a clean pocket? Because I don't know if you have kind of have the same opinion, Lee, on Florida's uh, offensive line, but I think Oklahoma has probably seen better offensive lines in the Big 12, and that's saying something because I think the offensive lines in this conference – have been fairly down compared to uh, years past. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on Florida's offensive line. I, I don't think they're particularly uh, – well, I don't want to say I don't think they're good. I'm, I'm sure they're good. I'm sure they're good enough. They're talented. Um, and, and this is kind of right, – yeah, yeah. But it, it is kind of bizarre that they can't run the football. And it's not like the offense the, – the, the offense wants to run the ball. It's just they, they probably got to the point where, like, yeah, Trask is good. we got a lot of good skill players on the outside. We're going to throw it around because we know we can do that with those players. Uh, now in this game, uh, they're 
they're definitely going to try to run the ball. It's just the problem is Oklahoma's really good at stopping the run. Uh, so, yeah, I, it, it, it's, Iowa State's offensive line might be better than Florida's. Uh, I, I like Iowa State's offensive uh, coaching staff. I mean, obviously Dan Mullen's really good too, but the, the difference is that they're, they're not going to have these guys to throw to. So uh, will Oklahoma be able to get after Kyle Trask? I think he will. But after watching a little bit more of Florida, I watched the LSU game and I watched the, uh, the SEC title game. Trask is he's he's a lot more athletic than I thought he was and he's so good at maneuvering the pocket so he's able to get around and and move up into the pocket and even though he's not as mobile as a Brock Purdy or a Sam Ellinger he's really smart and good at avoiding pressure unless obviously it's right in his face from you know the the A and B gaps you know right up the middle which is difficult to get around if you're anybody so I, I think he's good at that the, the, the difference, though, again, is the qualifier is he doesn't have these great receivers to throw to. And, and so will these guys be able to get open quick enough for him to get rid of the football like he normally does to, yeah. get, you know, to get, get around that pass rush? I don't know. And, and I, I think what he's going to see on tape, and this is kind of the interesting thing you brought up with Trey Brown. If you watch a ton of tape on Oklahoma, he would see that, what you saw about Trey Brown. But, but now Trey Brown's going to be gone, so he might think, all right, Whoever they put out there that's not Trey Brown, that's going to be somebody that's not a starter, so maybe I'll pick on them. And Dusty, uh, it's going to be uh, DJ Graham. He's going to be starting alongside Woody Washington. That's what Dusty had, had told me this weekend. That's the information that he got. And then, you know, anticipate Jaden Davis being sprinkled in there as well. So does, does Kyle Trask think, I'm going to try to exploit DJ Graham? And from our perspective, we, we say, bring it on. Let's – I. I have confidence in DJ Graham. Granted, he doesn't have a whole lot of snaps, but from what we've seen, we like what we have seen so far from DJ Graham. Or does Kyle Trask, or Andor, I should say, does he see the safety play? And does he see a lot of the times Oklahoma has Pat Fields and Delarian Turner Yell matched up in quarters, which is essentially man coverage when you're a safety on guys? Do, do I try to exploit these guys? Yeah. And I think, yes, he, he will. Uh, the only question is, will the routes be able to develop long enough for them to get open before the pass rush gets there? And yeah, I, and these are questions we, we're not going to know until we actually watch the game. Yeah. And in terms of Kyle Trask's athleticism, I would actually I hate for this to be kind of a lazy comparison, but I will I guess I'll compare him athletically to a Joe Burrow, um, not quarterback level arm talent, Joe Burrow, athletic talent in that. Yeah, Joe Burrow has legs. He can take off if he absolutely had to. But where his athleticism really showed itself was just his way to manipulate the pocket and step up in in the face of pressure and still have his eyes downfield. Kyle Trask can kind of bring that uh, element to the game. So Oklahoma is going to have to be incredibly disciplined and basically the opposite of what they were against Brock Purdy. But where you give OU kind of the slight edge on paper is that Brock Purdy for all of his faults, is incredibly athletic. And all those plays he made were just only plays that that level of quarterback can make. Baker Mayfield could have probably made those, but not everybody's Baker Mayfield. Kyler Murray is a different animal. Uh, I don't even want to bring that up. But uh, that that just takes subtle movement of your feet, your arms, your eyes, trusting yourself. Kyle Trask will be able to avoid some pressure. But if Perrion Winfrey is in his grill, Perrion Winfrey's probably going to get home. It's not going to be like the Big 12 championship game where all those pump fakes were just raising all of Oklahoma's defensive linemen five yards into the yeah. sky. So uh, if they can get home, great. Now, what I would do if I was Florida, and basically the thing that surprised me the most, and it's probably because Kyle Trask is more of a pocket passer, like you said, because this is a Dan Mullen offense, and it comes from the Urban Meyer tree. 
So there's a, it's a spread offense, but it's predicated on sweeps, getting onto the outside edge. It's kind of wishbony in, in that sense, more so than the spread offense that Oklahoma runs, which is a power raid, you know, running the football uh, for the most part when Lincoln Riley has to, and or d- doesn't even need to sometimes. Sometimes he forgets you can hand the football off, unfortunately. But um, if I'm Florida, the first thing I want to try and do is try to establish the edge offensively and if they can get guys, whatever guys that they have to fill in the gaps of guys who are not going to play in this game, if they can get them on the outside, that's going to really nullify Oklahoma's pass rush. And if they can do that, then Kyle Trask can stand back in the pocket and dink and dunk all over the field and maybe pick on a DJ Graham or maybe pick on some of these safeties or a Buki Radley-Hiles if he plays that much. So that's what I would do if I was Florida. But having said that, it's easier said than done because Iowa State tried to. They tried to get Brees Hall on the outside early on in the game, and Ronnie Perkins and company just chased him down, and they figured if he's going to run, they have to run straight at him. Yeah, that's an interesting interesting strategy, Uh, something that just has not worked at all against Oklahoma's defense this year. You go try to go side to side, and I guess getting the edge is not technically side to side, but it, it would be one thing if they still had Tony there to hand the ball off in the backfield because it seems like every time he lines up in the backfield they give him the football in some way shape or yeah. form whether it be a handoff Percy Harvin be a, nightmares yeah <laughs> yeah it's a yeah that's it's exactly what he is but now he's gone so my, my my question is do they still have that same principle with whoever fills in for Tony or does that part of their offense just get scrapped because there's nobody as good as him in their offense because they got they, they got so much out of him when they would do that it's almost like whenever it wasn't that was like the one way they could run the football because their running backs never seem to really find as much room as as tony does especially catching the edge um so that's yeah i what was i gonna say the uh yeah, getting the edge going going you know, going side to side against oklahoma's defense is it's not gonna work especially when you don't have all of your extra talented playmakers so yeah but you know who knows I mean it's Florida they, they recruit well they have a, a bunch of guys that probably have tons of speed like for instance I, I noticed in the big uh, the big 12 the SEC title game of their freshman running back Naquan Wright he had a touchdown in that game he looks like somebody that is pretty fast and who knows how they're going to use him maybe they'll move him around they'll, they'll do things with him not to mention their other starting running backs as well that their stats aren't very gaudy but they're going to probably be featured a lot more in this game maybe than they were before, and maybe they'll ask those guys to play more of a wide receiver type role. Who knows? I mean, it's, it's really it's, – it's one of those things where Oklahoma can watch all the film they want, but they're kind of like us in the way. It's like, how are they going to run their offense without these yeah. three guys? So there might be a little bit of element of surprise, but it's something that's probably not going to last the entire game. Oklahoma hopefully will figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I just see it from the standpoint of I don't, I don't think Florida has a choice, really. Like, they have to manufacture a run game whether it's conventional, whether it's kind of what I described with jet sweeps because it's just simply a Dan Mullen offense. And I, w- I would hope that their coaching staff has talent or has confidence in the talent that they've recruited. So yeah, they haven't had a ton of experience as the guys who opted out, but we have faith in these guys. We know that they're talented. Let's showcase it right now because this is the best way. This is the best way to attack it. If we can just already set the tone offensively by getting onto the edge, Oklahoma will have no choice but to pin their ears back um, try to beat us with coverage. And if you have Kyle Trask standing in a clean pocket all day long, it'll just look like the same, same, um, same story, different chapter with Oklahoma's defense where you've got guys chasing after receivers that are running wide open. I mean, that's, that's the nightmare scenario, but I just can't yeah. see Florida starting off. We're going to, we're going to put Kyle Trask in the pocket for two to four seconds. And hopefully the pocket is clean, or I don't see them trying to run the ball conventionally. 
right at Oklahoma's defensive line. So this is the only way that I feel like that they could, A, kind of catch OU off guard, and B, potentially have success just because their coaching staff probably has confidence that their guys that haven't played as much are still very talented. Oh, I, I just remembered something. I was going to push back a little bit. I, I think using Joe Burrow as a example of somebody who maneuvers a pocket well and comparing it to Trask is is fair. But uh, I, as far as athletically, though, I, Burrow is is a much better athlete. Oh yeah, he can I, get out and run. I, th- I mean, he had to remember the, the plays against Oklahoma last year where he was like Houdini and got away <laughs> and had, it was just like I don't, I don't think Trask. Oh, Trask could do that in the sense that he's so big, he's kind of hard to tackle. Like one guy bringing him down's maybe not always going to work. Uh, especially if you get him by the by the legs or the arms, but other than that, I, I don't think that uh, Trask and Burrow compare much athletically. Yeah, I couldn't really think of one. Like you, I could have gone Brock Purdy, but he has could have gone Tom Brady. Tom Brady maneuvers the pocket pretty uh, well, but it's, I'm tired he's of also Tom, the best quarterback of all I'm time. I'm tired of Tom Brady. I'm a Dolphins fan, so uh, there's <laughs> only one good team in Florida right now uh, in the NFL, and that's the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> that is the Miami Dolphins. Oh, and another thing I wanted to bring up as we're trying to get into the heads of Florida's offensive coaches and what they're going to do here, we're, I think we're kind of overlooking something that's quite simple considering that Florida, their first on-field practice, and you kind of referenced this at the very beginning of this podcast, their first on-field practice after the SEC title game was this past Saturday. Yeah. They were going to practice Saturday, Sunday, and they got to Dallas yesterday on Monday. And I'm sure they probably hit the practice field. So they're really going to practice maybe – three full times and then uh, you know today on Tuesday some sort of walkthrough I'm guessing so not a whole lot of prep time for Florida their whole mindset could be and it's not that Oklahoma's getting a bunch of time either they practiced I think three times before Christmas Christmas Eve and then they got back on Saturday so they they have probably about three more practices than Oklahoma, than Florida has point being this is probably going to be a game where as a coaching staff they think all right our best player is Kyle Trask now and we're going to put him in positions to just do what he does and try to pick apart a secondary that probably hasn't proven itself this year, whether that's Kyle just going to Dan Mullen saying, hey, here's what I want to do. Here's what I see on tape and they, them collaborating and they just call plays based on that. It could be just as simple as that because there's not a whole lot of pre pregame watching film and trying to scheme up a whole lot of stuff considering the short turnaround time. Yeah, and look no further than how OU looked against Baylor. Now, of course, there were three or four hundred different circumstances that kind of went into the Baylor game with OU looking very a characteristic you know just offensive line was bad Spencer Rattler missed a ton of easy throws uh, receivers dropped passes defense kind of reverted back to some bad habits but not too much you know because Baylor of course isn't very good and OU still was I in my opinion was never in any danger of losing that game as I remember watching it live but um I'm kind of expecting that to play a factor in this game where Florida is just going to potentially look well out of sync. Uh, offensive line issues going up against Oklahoma's probably their best unit of on the entire team. You know, you can go receivers, you can go quarterback position. I would say the defensive line is the best unit on the team. And if your offensive line is not in sync, oh boy. <laughs> I mean, Riley Perkins is going to feast. Perrion Winfrey is going to yep. feast. Everybody's going to have a good game in that, in that instance. And, uh, you're already breaking in a bunch of new receivers, and I don't know if you caught the the Browns and the Jets the other day, where the Browns basically had a, I think their best receiver was a guy who was on the practice squad who had just got elevated, and to his credit, I can't remember what the guy's name was, he looked pretty dang good, but I mean, Cleveland loses that game, that's their fault, Baker Mayfield had ultimately two terrible turnovers, 
But there are four or five passes in that game that he made that Jarvis Landry catches, that Higgins catches, and Cleveland probably wins that game somewhat comfortably if they have their receivers in. So just trying to shoehorn new guys into new spots with new responsibilities, also with limited practices, then traveling, and then playing a team that has had more prep time against you, um, that is probably the whole corny cliche, they probably feel better about this game and they're playing for something more than we are. I mean, Florida could potentially just look like a circus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that was a great breakdown. That's something you'd probably hear on a, a college football betting show because I can just I can see or listen you know, to all these sharps breaking this game down and saying, you know, even at minus three, Oklahoma is still a great play. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're a great play at plus three, even at minus three. They, this, this number should be bigger. And for all the reasons you just brought up, like kind of the, the off the field, you know, prep, travel, all that stuff, that, that sounds like something that you would hear from a, a seasoned Vegas gambler. And, and I agree with all of it. And, and it, I have never gambled anyways, in my wanted... life, by the way. Just uh, innocent little <laughs> bets with friends. That's, that's <laughs> interesting. That's interesting. Because that's exactly, I, I, I'll probably listen to a podcast today. You know, it's a gambling podcast. And I, I bet people will probably say a lot of the same stuff you just said right there that, you know, obviously we're very close to the program. We follow it closer than somebody that's just, you know, a, maybe a, a quote unquote expert, but obviously has to follow 120 teams and not necessarily just one like we yeah. do. So just wanted to throw that. I thought that was kind of interesting that you made those points. All right, let's let's flip the script. Let's go over to the the other side of the football with Oklahoma's offense, which is crazy that we've talked so much about Florida's offense and Oklahoma's defense because in years past it's all been about Oklahoma's offense and Oklahoma's defense has been an absolute joke and we just hope that you know maybe if Oklahoma's able to get if Oklahoma can get four stops in this game Oklahoma's got a chance to win you know remember those days yeah. whenever Baker Mayfield played for him and even Kyler Murray like getting four stops yeah the, there's no way four three and out there's no way a, st- a freshman yeah. Jake Fromm's not going to not throw an interception or have only three incompletions in this entire game so oh you should be able to win this game right wrong <laughs> he looked like Joe Montana and never got better. Uh, but, hey, Oklahoma's defense did score in that game. That's the funny thing. So That's the trivia question that we're never going to remember 10 years from now. Yeah. Steven Parker. Uh, so so let's flip the script. And this is the fourth, quote, unquote, bowl game, even though this is the first non-playoff game. Uh, it's weird to call playoff games bowl games because I know they technically are, but they're, they're playoff games to me. Uh, this is the first time that it's not been a playoff game for Lincoln Riley as a head coach. And I'm using air quotes here. I know I'm using quotes a lot in the last two minutes. I'm sorry about that. But it's more relevant in this sense because this is probably the quote-unquote worst defense he has seen in a bowl game so far. Uh, Because you go back to that Georgia defense, that was one of the best defenses in college football, if not the best defense back in 2017. Uh, The Alabama defense was very good, even though Clemson's offense would probably disagree with you because they just whooped up on it in the national title game. Well, thank Kyler Murray for that. They gave him the blueprint. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And then last year's LSU defense was not elite, but for what it needed to to, to pair with that LSU offense, it was it was pretty darn good. Yeah. And it, it did very well against Clemson, especially after halftime. So that was a pretty good LSU defense. This Florida defense isn't that. So are we actually going to be able to see an Oklahoma offense that has struggled the last two games, maybe score some points in a, a big bowl game for the first time in a while? I mean, you certainly hope so. I mean, going back to what I said about the script that this team has followed basically for the majority of their games, um, what I mean by that is in their losses, Kansas State, they had a 28-7 lead uh, with, I believe, three minutes to go in the third quarter. Now, 
you know, they, they obviously they should have beat Kansas State. And even if they had somewhat of a lapse, you know, they should still probably win that game by at the very least 14 points. But of course, they ended up losing, uh, meaning what basically the offense went to sleep. The defense didn't make plays. Uh, Iowa State, OU had an 11 point lead late. Um, going into the fourth quarter, I believe, and then they squandered that lead. Uh, Texas, they had a 31-17 lead with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and it took them four overtimes to beat Texas. Um, and there are even really minute points uh, in that Texas Tech game, which is going to sound funny because OU destroyed them, but I, I think it's like 41-42-14 after Texas Tech has that big 80-yard touchdown catch, and then OU immediately goes three and out. And OU's in no danger of losing that, but then they're kind of in danger of winning 55 to 28, making their defensive numbers look bad, and all the national pundits going, see, they still can't play defense, but they ended up waking back up offensively. Oklahoma State, they went to sleep for the majority of the second and third quarters and woke back up. Iowa State, they went completely to sleep. They were outscored 14 to 3 in the second half. So, as much as I want to say yes, because maybe Florida's offense just won't be able to score enough. Um, and Florida's defense will be on the field far too much because with the Iowa State game in the Big 12 title game, Iowa State's offense started to find rhythm in the second quarter, and it kept OU's defense on the field just a little bit longer marginally as the game wore along, and OU's offense wasn't able to do anything. But if Florida can't do anything offensively, it really won't matter how good, average, or bad their defense is because their defense is just going to be on the field far too much, and OU's going to be able to exploit that. But... That's all, you know, their factor. With OU, it just needs to be, you've got to execute. And Lincoln Riley, don't be afraid to run the football. Don't be afraid to do things that are somewhat boring or simple. If it's working, do it. Uh, Keep your foot on the gas. And that's the big question with this team. And if they're going to really answer the call next season, that's, that's where they have to clean it up. And it's mainly Spencer Rattler. And the thing Keegan and I have been really knocking on him all season long for as great as he's been. And look, he's what, 27 touchdown passes. And I don't know if you saw that stat on Twitter where he's had nine dropped in zone yeah. touched catches. Uh, yeah. I, I, I fear the vast majority of them were from Theo East or Obi Obialo. So shout out to you guys. But um, if they're able uh, to really answer the call next season with Spencer Rattler, don't be afraid to hit the easy routes, man. The underneath routes, the, the guys who are wide open when you are, locked downfield there's nothing wrong with getting 12 yards instead of a touchdown uh, a touchdown on one play because you know what if you move the football if you move the chains and your Oklahoma's offense you're probably going to score anyway so just be methodical with it take what the defense is going to give you because Florida is going to be deathly afraid of his of his arm so the underneath routes are going to be there if Spencer Rattler can do that the route should be able to be on and yeah, you're hitting on something that Grant and I have been talking about on the podcast the last few weeks is just developing that that killer offensive instinct that Oklahoma needs to to develop if they're going to become one of these teams like the Alabamas, the Clemsons, uh, it's some sometimes the Ohio States who who win national championships and just laugh through a conference schedule, especially like a Clemson. And, and it's it's fair to criticize and and wonder about Lincoln Riley in game because it. There's definitely a pattern there, and when I watched, you know, the the second half of the Big Twelve title game, to me it was it was mostly Iowa State's defense was really really good, and, yeah. and how much of the familiarity with Lincoln Riley, and you know they played so many games together, and it seemed like every answer Riley had in that game, it just Iowa State had another answer for it, and 
then you throw in Spencer Rattler, and yeah, there was one or two plays where, like, on third down, he goes over the middle on an RPO to Weiss whenever he had Charleston Rambo on a three-yard out who was open. Take that play, sure. Uh, but that's just part of what makes Spencer Rattler so good are plays like that because he's so confident he can, he can read that and hit that. Uh, but it was incomplete where you'd, you'd want him to kind of mix and match those take what the defense is giving you, but also with the big shots. Yeah. And that's something that, as he gets more snaps, I think it's your point, as he gets more snaps, more games, he'll hopefully develop that as well. And, yeah, it, I, it needs to be better in-game, and it makes me wonder if he is getting out-coached in the middle of these games. Are our defenses making changes and he just can't counteract that? Or is it simply he knows what to do or he thinks he should do it a certain way, but he's going against it? Or I don't know. It. it it, but it is weird how a lot of games have kind of followed that same script where they have a, a early lead, but then the offense kind of stops. Yeah, and you can look at it one of two ways. Is it simply that Lincoln Riley has trouble adjusting to the adjustment of his opponent? Because, you know, for the most part, OU looks great starting off games. Then the opponent adjusts, and then for whatever reason, OU starts to stagnate offensively. Is it because Lincoln Riley can't adjust to the adjustment? That could be a question, but what I asked Keegan, I think halfway through the season on the podcast, and I'll ask you this, um, perhaps our expectations for Spencer Rattler were just simply unrealistic. And what I mean by that is we're expecting a quarterback who is extremely talented. We know that. We know that if OU wins 10 games next year, 11 games, especially if they win the Big 12, he's probably going to New York for the Heisman for at least, you know, to be up for the award. Um, so the talent is there, but to expect a kid in his eighth, ninth game to look like a seasoned vet, maybe that's where our expectations were a little bit unrealistic because I will say for all the critiques that we've had about Spencer Rattler, mainly about not going for the easy stuff, I would rather my young quarterback have that to clean up than a turnover problem or a fumble problem or uh, just getting happy feet like Landry Jones and freaking out and shrinking in the moment. Spencer Rattler doesn't shrink. He had a turnover problem somewhat early on and he cleaned that up. So now his, you know, what he needs to clean up now is just finding easy routes and seeing them and trusting the offense and trusting uh, the play call and not always having the killer instinct every single play because you're not always going to score on every drive. You're not going to score on every single play. It's not realistic. So maybe, my expectations for him were a little bit unrealistic. I don't think they were, but I mean, I mean, where do you stand on that? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I think you and Keegan and Grant are all more on the same page. I'm, I'm different. I, I had very high expectations for him, and I think he has met and exceeded them. And, and, and I think that he has shown that he, he looks like a seasoned vet out there. And, and I don't see him missing or not seeing as many throws as maybe you guys do. I, I see him reading. Uh, for example, in the Big 12 title game, seeing a uh, you know back shoulder to Theo Weiss on third down and making a pretty good throw, but such seeing a good Theo throw. Weiss, <laughs> seeing Theo Weiss not kind of have a, a lazy, not very physical route and not catching it. I see him making a really good throw to Jaden Hazelwood in the end zone on third down, where uh, you, you see Trevor Lawrence make those throws to his big five star receivers all the time, and those guys make the play because it's the ball's put in the right spot, but Jaden Hazelwood doesn't catch it. I I've seen that. And I, it's kind of crystallized for me, especially after rewatching the Iowa State game. I don't think he has a lot of help, especially with St when, when Stogner's been yeah. out. The receivers aren't good enough right now for Oklahoma. And that's really weird. I mean, and look at the stat that you brought up five minutes ago. Nine drop touchdowns this year? I mean, and I, Theo Weiss has had five of them, I think. I mean, that is insane. 
And it's not necessarily a drop, but I mean, Jaden Hazelwood, a five-star guy, I know he has, he's coming back. He's got to make that play in the Big 12 title game in a high-leverage situation. So I, I think Rattler has, has been, been there. I think he's made really good throws. He's made really good decisions. So to me, he is what he the, – the, 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 the one thing that I'm kind of annoyed on is he's not as athletic as I hoped he would be. I, I, he, he looked a little bit better against Iowa State in the last game. I, I wish he was a little, little bit speedier and a little bit more elusive. But other than that, man, within the pocket, outside the pocket, I, I think he makes mostly really good decisions. Yeah. And, and it's, he's been fun to watch all year long. Yeah, my dude needs to learn how to slide. Um, I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know if you listen to any of our post-podcasts after the Kansas game when he got hurt running into the end zone, but you brought up Austin Stogner, and I couldn't agree more. OU's offense has not looked as great without Austin Stogner. Maybe he's the key to this entire offense really hitting its ceiling. And that being said, I, I love Braden Willis. And every time Braden Willis's number has been called, he's he's performed. He has come to like he has risen to the occasion. Uh, but for whatever reason, Spencer Rattler either doesn't trust Braden Willis to the extent that he trusts Austin Stogner, or it's just simply Braden Willis just isn't as good as Austin Stogner. Um, but as soon as Stogner's been out, the offense has kind of hit a wall and much much more quickly in games than they have with Austin Stogner. But after the Kansas game, I was so upset that A, Spencer Rattler decided I'm going to show how tough I am and bulldog into the end zone and get unnecessarily hit, and then he got hurt. And then I was upset that Lincoln Riley kept Spencer in the game because now this is a crazy conspiracy theory thought from my head, so don't take it as you know as gospel. But on the play where Austin Stogner gets hurt, it's a seam route. What do you do as a quarterback? You hit him in the chest so you protect your receiver. Spencer Rather could not step into his throws at all, and it was apparent. But Lincoln Riley kept him out there to show how tough he was, I guess. And Spencer Rattler, on a simple seam route against Kansas, has to throw off his back foot. Austin Sogner has to climb the ladder, and then he gets exposed and then gets hit in the knee and then hasn't been seen since. So uh, you can blame Lincoln Riley for that, in my opinion. <laughs> Um, it just it just didn't need that, to happen. Okay. Yeah, I'm not gonna. F <laughs> I'm, I'm not with you on that one really at all because I I think even if he makes a good throw, there's still probably a high chance that safety's coming over and and when you're when you're as big as Stogner, everyone's gonna go low on you. So I mean, it was only a matter of time that that guy's gonna get hit low and and something bad happens. Yeah. I mean that. I I get what you're saying. I understand that's that's putting, uh, let's see, getting out your big board, your conspiracy theory board, and the getting thread, the yarn yeah. and the thread. <laughs> yeah, I know it. It certainly checks out, but uh, I, I I will not subscribe to that. It's uh, and talking about Stogner and and Willis, um, and I, I think um, you mentioned or maybe you, you and Keegan mentioned on the podcast about how uh, as we're talking about Oklahoma's offense versus Florida's defense. The middle of the field is is open, and you know, and, and you can say that about Oklahoma's defense, and you can say that about a lot of defenses. And I feel like Grant and I have said that a lot going into these big games as well. But for whatever reason, even though the middle of the field looks like it's there on film, it doesn't seem like it's there in the games, or Oklahoma doesn't seem to really, except for a couple of different times, try to take advantage of it. And against Iowa State, Iowa State's weakness in that defense, especially in the second half of that game, is the middle of the field. But there's not a whole lot of routes run across the middle of the field. One of the very rare ones you saw was late in that game when they ran Braden Willis on that 12-yard slant. He took a hit, took a low hit, made the play. But that's where I'm, I'm kind of confused on the lack of 
drag routes, the lack of yep. routes that are designed to go into the middle of the field to try to throw behind a linebacker or in front of some safeties. And is that just Spencer Rattler's weakness? Maybe he, he can't – because he is only six six foot six one, and this is, sounds so, so dumb, but I'm starting to buy a little bit more into it. When you're not 6'5", like a Kyle Trask, maybe it, it isn't that easy to see those routes developing in the middle of the field, whereas you see Trask – He's so big and, and, and huge. He, he can see the whole field. It's not hard for him to hit those slants, hit those. And not, not that Rattler hasn't done that. But I want to see more attacking, more routes to the middle of the field. And it just didn't seem like it happened a whole lot against Iowa State. And I hope it, it happens against a Florida team if, it indeed, they do give up the middle of the field. But if we can talk a little about this in a second, I'll, I'll let you respond to this. Uh, there are some other avenues to attack Florida's secondary that I, I, I have seen on film as well. But what are your thoughts on that? I mean, uh, the, the middle of the field stuff, and do you notice it as well as I have? have I, I feel like I just don't see as many guys going across the middle of the field as, as maybe there should be. Yeah, and I think you hit on it fairly well because just Spencer Rattler's physical tools, I mean, he's not very tall. I'm five foot 11. I've stood next to Spencer Rattler. He's not very much taller than I am, obviously. And I can't imagine standing tall in the pocket and throwing over the middle of the field because the offensive line is right in front of me. And then if you're throwing over the middle of the field, your blind spots to the left and to the right. If you are throwing to the boundary, obviously you only have one blind spot and that's what's behind you. But you know the pass rush coming towards you as, as you're facing it. So trying to put myself in a D1 quarterback five stars shoes as much as I can, I can just deduce that maybe throwing over the middle of the field is a little bit more difficult uh, than throwing towards the boundary. It's not as fun either because you're not showing off that rocket arm. Yeah. And yeah. It, I would assume it probably takes a little bit longer for those routes to develop. And also, it's probably more confusing for the coverage because if Spencer Rattler had any trouble early on in the season with turnovers, it was just guys dropping back into coverage that he didn't notice or see. And he should have had a pick in the Big Tall title game, and it fortunately wasn't picked. It was the one where Marvin Mims caught it out of midair. It got tipped. Yeah, yep. Should have been picked anyway, but it was that type of coverage where a guy drops back, he doesn't really notice him because his eyes are downfield. And I, I would just assume that that play is not really made from a quarterback in college as much as you're suggesting because these are quarterbacks in college. They're not as good or they're developing, and they will be good but just not that good right now maybe when Spencer Rattler's year three or four in the NFL if he's able to make it uh, maybe he's starting to make those throws but um, and also I, I kind of feel this way as well with Oklahoma's receiving core they don't really have a Sterling Shepard or a Ryan Broyles type that just feasts on going over the middle of the field finding soft spots in the zone coverage or man coverage where a guy just isn't going to be there and just feasting over the middle of the field. Now, they've got Marvin Mims, who is a track star and who's shown some signs of being a fairly good uh, possession receiver when he does have the ball in his hands. Theo Weiss has been rather up or down. Um, and I hate to say it because I, I think the world of him as a, as a talent. Uh, but he should kind of be that guy, in my opinion, in terms of going over the middle with his uh, physique and his frame. Just hasn't really happen for whatever reason. Charleston Rambo, I'm completely through with. I mean, more power to him. I, I wish him luck probably as he enters the transfer portal after this game. Uh, but everybody else, there's just not that that go-to kind of speedy possession guy like a Sterling Shepard or a Ryan Broyles in this offense. And maybe that's another reason why that's not happening. Sure. And as we get ready for this game, it was very confusing to me that 
Mikey Henderson was used very sparingly against Iowa State because um, he, he was a big part of that offense against Oklahoma State, and it looked like he was really starting to, to become one of, uh, one, of the, one of the players that Lincoln Riley wanted to get the football to outside of, uh, obviously, Spencer Rattler, the quarterback, but outside of Ramondre Stevenson, outside of Marvin Mims, and outside of Theo Weiss. It was like Mikey Henderson's kind of like that next guy, and then he didn't, didn't really do much at all against Iowa State. You would think that hopefully he's more involved against Florida, and, and that can maybe give you another player that can he's, help you exploit a defense. He's this team's yeah. Roy Finch, and that every OU fan wants Mikey Henderson to touch the ball about every single time that Ramondre Stevenson's not touching it. If they're going to run the football, it better go to Mikey Henderson. So just some stuff I saw on tape, especially in the Big 12. I keep saying Big 12. The SEC title game from Florida's defense in the second half, and granted this was after they had, had been down a couple of, couple of scores. Uh, they, they were really soft in their quarters coverage against Alabama. And, and you know, we're talking corners t- 10 yards off the ball, uh, just inviting you know, five, seven-yard slant routes. And, and uh, Devontae Smith had you know, some easy catch-and-run plays in that, you know, in, in that respect. I mean, Marvin Mims put him out there. That's easy. Just boom. Hey, go five, seven yard slant, catch it, and, and try to you know outrun the defense. Uh, and and also you can hope to get Ramondre Stevenson outside on the edge through, with the corners playing so far back that gives the receivers plenty of time to get out there, get their blocks on the guys, and and potentially open up some big running lanes for Ramondre Stevenson. And, and also when you have these corners playing so far off, you get twins to one side, maybe twins to the the field side. And the slot runs a five-yard out. You run the corner out, who's already super deep, and there's an easy pitch and catch to somebody like a, maybe a Mikey Henderson or somebody like a Jeremiah Hall or maybe even a faster guy who can potentially outrun the nickel corner because there's a lot of space up the sideline. I mean, there's, there seems to be some avenues there that are pretty easy for Oklahoma to exploit. And I hope Lincoln Riley, he'll definitely see this on tape. But I also hope that even if he doesn't call something in the huddle, maybe he, he allows Spencer Rattler to survey the defense, and if he sees that, maybe he lets Spencer Rattler make some calls like that on the fly if, if he can see those, these types of routes developing, and, and that's what the defense is giving him because it seems like Florida and Todd Grantham, they want to be really aggressive, but if Oklahoma can, can get them on their heels a little bit, then they're kinda, they kind of play back a little bit, and they don't want to give up the big play, and then that's whenever you can easily run the football on them and hit those plays out in front underneath. And to your point a little bit ago, will Spencer Rattler take them? Will he, will he take these plays as opposed to trying to go for the home run ball, especially if Florida plays with safeties over the top? So just wanted to throw out some things I've seen on tape a little bit. Uh, not sure if you have any sort of comments on that as well or if you've noticed it in the couple games you've watched Florida. But I thought that was pretty interesting and maybe could be some easy ways for Oklahoma's offense to get some yards against a defense that, that has been, I, I think you said average earlier, uh, statistically maybe bad. But I, I think average is more of a fair way to describe this Florida defense for yeah. sure I think I don't think you're going to get that much of an argument from people that are just casually following college football hey Florida's defense player by player is probably more talented than Iowa State's but that doesn't mean that Florida's defense is by any means better than Iowa State's it just means that their individual players are more talented and the thing about defense is it doesn't matter how many individual talents you have they all have to play in sync they all have to do their jobs in order for the defense as a whole to be good and that's the difference between Iowa State's defense and Florida's so the big question is is OU going to be hampered by the maybe the step up in talent on Florida's defensive side of the football compared to Iowa State but not necessarily you're not going to get outsmarted you're not going to get out schemed like Iowa State and Heacock are able to do against Lincoln Riley's offense so that should be in Oklahoma's favor but 
I, I don't know how you feel about the difference between a Ramondre Stevenson and a Najee Harris. Uh, Najee Harris is really good. Um, I think he's he he's like in that caliber of running back that he he he's obviously an All American this year. So he's an All American type talent. I think Ramondre Stevenson is an All American type talent if he's able to play an entire season and hits his ceiling. I don't think either one is a Heisman worthy talent. Uh, having said that, if Najee Harris, you know, had the yards, I'm sure he'd, you know, be up for it uh, anyway because he plays for Alabama. But if Florida's defense made Najee Harris look incredible, then the easiest way for Oklahoma to get this route on is you want to get the RPO going. How would you do that? If if they made Najee Harris look good, get Ramondre Stevenson rolling early, and then the RPO will be there all damn day. And Spencer will be able to feast because Keegan and I said it, for OU to look good in this game, this has to be Spencer Rattler's game. But it doesn't have to start off Spencer Rattler's game. I think it needs to start off being Ramondre's game. If that can get rolling, sky's the limit for the offense. Yeah, what did uh, Najee Harris, let's see, he had... Four touchdowns, right? Two four or five t- touchdowns? Four t- okay, five touchdowns. <laughs> he had five t- three receiving, two rushing, had over 200 yards of uh, total offense. And it's funny you mentioned Najee Harris because I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't watched a whole lot of Alabama uh, critically and so watching the SC title game was the most I've seen of him and he looked good and and I did kind of think of Ramondre Stevenson watching the game they're they're built kind of similar probably, they're kind of probably a little ground. bit faster Najee Harris yeah uh, you think Ramondre's a little faster than Najee Harris no, no no I think Najee Harris is a little bit faster I think Ramondre has okay. him just on yeah. physical brute force though yes yes and I would agree with that but I, I think they're very similar looking tight backs and I think they're both very good so I I was watching it thinking like, wow, this guy is having such, such a good game and what they're doing against Florida's defense can be something that Oklahoma does as well. And they, I mean, I mentioned they, he had three receiving touchdowns. Bama was using him out of the backfield in the passing game tons. And they were just taking advantage of Florida putting linebackers on him. And I mean, just one of them was uh, during the two-minute drill. Bama got the ball back with a minute to go and they just went right down the field <laughs> and they just lined, they lined up. Uh, Najee Harris in the backfield and they're like yeah just run a Texas route against that linebacker it'll be really easy and they did and he was wide open it was really easy it'll be really easy and they scored <laughs> yeah we're just gonna put you up against number 11 that linebacker over there yeah Mahmoud Diabate yeah he's gonna try to guard you but you're just gonna run the Texas route just kind of go out a little bit and then just go inside and you're gonna be wide open and you're gonna score because it's gonna be really easy and that's what they did so Oklahoma can easily do that with a Rondre Stevenson which Thankfully, we have seen Oklahoma use him in the passing game this year. A lot of it is usually uh, throwing swing passes left and right, side to side, not necessarily him running uh, Texas routes out of the backfield. But against Iowa State, there was that new wrinkle where they kind of ran that delayed screen pass thing where they threw it back to him underneath and inside, which is kind of a cool-looking play, which that can be part of the repertoire as well. So, yes, I you're exactly right. This needs to be – and you can say this about a lot of OU games since Ramondre came back – Spencer Rattler game, Ramondre Stevenson game, and if both of those guys play well, Oklahoma should win the football game going away. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's another part of the the Alabama game. I wanted to Alabama Florida game that I noticed was how they use Najee Harris and how that can hopefully uh, translate into Ramondre Stevenson having uh, a similar yeah. type game. You know, hey, you know, if Ramondre just scores three touchdowns instead of five, I, you know, I'm, I'm cool with that. You know. I will point out, though, and I don't know if you'll remember this, but we have seen Ramondre Stevenson utilized in the passing game outside of just simple little dump off or swing passes. 
probably the most crucial third down conversion in Stillwater last year with Jalen Hurts. Do you remember they randomly put Ramondre Stevenson out wide and Jalen Hurts oh, yeah. threw it to the far side of the field to Ramondre who was wide the hell open because Oklahoma State's like, yeah. what the hell is he doing over? Who is that? So uh, we have seen Ramondre great, have to use his hands. Callback. So uh, No, I, I've been so high on Ramondre Stevenson basically since the Texas game last season. Uh, and his few opportunities, like I just saw a different caliber of running back that Unfortunately, Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks, in my opinion, just didn't have. And maybe it's better for Ramondre if you see him in spurts. Maybe that's why Kennedy and Trey are ultimately, quote-unquote, better. Uh, but Ramondre just has this special quality to him that I feel like if you want to utilize him in the passing game, even though he hasn't really been utilizing that much, I feel like he has that little bit of special quality that he can make plays, especially against fortuitous matchups like you're talking about with Florida's linebackers. And yeah, and, and Grant has been super high on Ramondre ever since, you know, before he even came to Oklahoma when, when he was uh, when, when they were going to bring him over. He loved his his junior college tape. And so he's right there with you. And, and I've come around. I mean, I he's, he's a really great player. And you throw in the fact that uh, he missed last year's bowl game. And that was obviously very crushing. Throw the same thing with Ronnie Perkins and Trajan Bridges. And now he gets to play in one of these bowl games. You better believe. Uh, if, if I have any sort of concerns about players taking this game seriously, Ramondre Stevenson isn't one of those players. Uh, and honestly, neither is Ronnie Perkins. And I guess we saw Trajan Bridges against Iowa State. I, I'm not worried about him caring about this game because I think all three of those guys will be super pumped no matter what Florida looks like in this yep. one. And speaking of uh, Bridges, hopefully Bridges is, uh, you know, extra time if he's part more of the offense as well we haven't mentioned him at all in this podcast that obviously would be a, a big boost to Oklahoma's offense because uh, they, they again I the receiving core has not been up to where it needs to be since Austin Stogner left and so if he can come back and give another a speedy five-star guy maybe he's your player that can sit down and find holes in in his own type defense and give Rattler an extra guy to throw to and real quick before I get to the receivers um I'll just ask you, are you at all concerned that the backup running back in this game, if we're just talking about running backs, is Seth McGowan, considering TJ Pledger um, is transferring? And I will say that I, I am a little bit, I was a lot more worried about it before all the opt-outs from Florida when I thought it was going to be a closer game potentially. Um, I like TJ Pledger. I think I think very highly of him. I put a lot of stock in running backs from OU that rush for over 100 yards against Texas. And I thought he was a really good change of pace back. And quite frankly, I feel like, as the season wore along, Lincoln Riley could have used him and utilized him in, in a lot more uh, different versatile ways, and he just simply didn't. So as high as I am on Seth McGowan, more so early on in the season, that does worry me a little bit that when Ramondre needs a breath, you, we have to rely on Seth McGowan, who's had some fumble issues early on in this season. Sure, and that's a fair a fair worry if you will because yeah Seth McGowan will get his shot he'll get a shot to play and and I came around a little bit more on TJ Pledger later in the year especially as I went back and rewatched the Iowa State game I thought he was actually a little bit better in that game than I remembered him being and he's a nice player he's he's a nice change of pace guy uh, but he's just he's nowhere near the level of Ramondre yeah. Stevenson so it it, it, it never uh, it, I guess in, in hindsight I will applaud the way he played but yet it's still it still could have been better. It still should have been better. Uh, Seth McGowan, I he, yeah, he needs a lot more work. His vision's not. He great. needs an off season. He I, didn't have an off season. Sure, sure. I, so he will get run. I think probably early in this game, just to kind of see where he where he's at. But um, 
I would bet or guess, and the reason I'm not that concerned or worried about Pledger not being there, I think that the next running back is, is Mikey Henderson. I, I think Lincoln Riley likes to use him True. as a running back. He, he can. He has already a couple times this year. So unless there's something we don't know about Mikey Henderson going on behind the scenes, you know, maybe why he didn't get as much – uh, as much play or as many snaps against Iowa State as maybe we thought he would. Unless, you know, if, if there's if he's just Mikey Henderson the way we think he is, I think he'll probably end up getting some some uh, non-Ramondre running back type snaps and carries. And I'm totally cool with him uh, getting the ball and then maybe, maybe sprinkle in some Seth McGowan. Uh, but I, I do anticipate probably McGowan early in the game. We'll just Riley give him a shot. Hey, you know. How are you looking? Are you seeing things? Because he is the next man up, in theory, in the running back room, and, and that's not necessarily Henderson's position. He's a H-back tight end. Yeah. But I, 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 could see, I could see Henderson getting a, a little bit more run as a backup running back, and so that's why I'm not really as concerned about it as I otherwise would be. Yeah. And so and, 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 and oh, if you have more to add, I was going to say, just if you want to talk about Bridges. Oh, yeah, fast, I, I was going to say that'll be the last time that I hijack the uh, – the podcast that isn't mine so uh yeah back to the receivers your original question uh with bridges you know going back to what i said earlier about OU not necessarily having that sterling shepherd type receiver to feast on those underneath routes over the middle it needs to be trajan bridges i think just from a pure body type and then what limited action we've actually seen him uh seen of him since he's been at ou it should be him but i think to expect a guy like him dropping that touchdown pass, he needs to make that catch because he's in the game. He is uber. Would have been a great. Would have been a great but catch, but yeah, it'd be nice to I cover. think realistically, to expect somebody to just walk off of a year-long suspension that shouldn't have been a year-long suspension, obviously, and then perform at the highest level, I think you're kind of asking too much. Um, I mean, that's just sure. me. So expecting Trajan Bridges to do something like that in this game, I mean, I don't. I'm not going to expect it, and also I don't really understand what his responsibility in terms of the route tree is because there are quite frankly two or three receivers that should be playing at the that should be playing because they're all damn good but they relatively play the same position in terms of what routes that they're probably best suited for and Trajan Bridges is kind of in that uh category but uh overall with the receivers it seems like this is kind of simplified we get a good game out of Theo Weiss and then we get an average to meh game out of Theo Weiss so he's due for a good game um, he has come to play in OU's biggest games against Oklahoma State, against Texas. He just didn't have it against Iowa State in the Big 12 title game. Uh, and quite frankly, he just didn't have it against Iowa State at all this year because he had that bad drop oh, touchdown pass in Ames. So maybe it's just an Iowa State thing for Theo Weiss, I hope. Um, maybe Charleston Rambo has like a, a game for the Charleston Rambo ages because this will probably be his last game as a Sooner. Um, Lincoln Riley still tries to force feed us him. So he's going to have a, a few opportunities to make that a thing. But I think really where this is going to be one is Marvin Mims being able to stretch the field. And then Braden Willis, Jeremiah Hall, Mikey Henderson, even um, on all those bailout passes where Spencer Rattler's rolling to his left or to his right. He always seems to find those guys. If they can find some soft spots and they can catch the ball, OU's offense should be able to roll. Even if the OEs has a mad game again. All right, let's talk about our gut feelings or if, if you actually have a prediction for the game. We've been doing kind of gut feelings on the podcast here, but I'm not sure if you actually have a full prediction. I'll, I'll start. I've kind of yo-yoed a bit. Uh, the last podcast, which just came out on Sunday here, I, my gut feeling is Oklahoma's going to win. I, I don't know how much they were going to win by, but I, I just kind of felt like in, in my gut they were going to win the game. But then as I kind of look more into it the next day, I kind of started feeling a little bad about Oklahoma's chances, and that was even with Pitts out. 
I saw. I mean, Dan Mullen has done really well in bowl games. I mean, they're seven and two. Uh, he's seven and two in bowl games, and I just kind of had a, a feeling that uh, you know what I. Even and again, even with Pitts out, I think that Florida offense with Tony and and Grimes and and Copeland and and even their backup tight ends, I figured in Kyle Trask, I saw a little bit more of him, and I was a little bit more impressed with just his ball placement and how smart he was as a quarterback. I I, I even with Oklahoma's defensive line getting after him, I I could see them scoring points, and so my gut was leaning more to Florida. And then all the opt-outs happened, and it sounds so so terrible. I mean, now my gut's leaning lean to Oklahoma and so my only concern is how seriously Oklahoma's players are taking the game and since this is Oklahoma podcast and part of uh, my job is to try to get inside their heads and predict these things I think Oklahoma is going to care about this game I think they're going to take uh, take from their head coach Lincoln Riley who I believe cares very deeply about winning this game and even though he wouldn't say it publicly I think he wants to win this game by a lot of points so I do think Oklahoma is going to take this game seriously, and my gut is telling me now Oklahoma is going to win this game by, man, I mean, saying double digits sounds like I'm, I'm being greedy because Oklahoma hasn't shown any ability to, to win games against good teams by a convincing margin of victory. They just haven't shown it. Yep. So, it, it, but, but my gut is kind of telling me that it's going to happen even though that seems like the most obvious thing with all of these opt-outs, and I know around college football, the national media, that that doesn't follow Oklahoma. They're going to say, oh, Oklahoma should win this game by two touchdowns. They, if they don't, that's, a, that, that's crazy. So like, it's almost like the most obvious thing, which makes me feel a bit square, but that's what my gut is saying. I think they're going to win this game now by, by two scores, whether that's 10 points, whether that's 14 points. But now as I say it out loud, I'm starting to want to backtrack. <laughs> so I'm being, I'm being wishy-washy, and I know that sucks for podcasting, but that's where I am right now. Where are you right now as we are uh, you know, a little, little more than 24 hours away from kickoff? Yeah, and I guess I'll set it up you know, timeline-wise how I was feeling from the time the game got announced to all the opt-outs and then to now. I thought, I, I thought OU would win. I thought it was the worst matchup possible uh, compared to the other three or the other two SEC opponents, A&M and Georgia, that could have potentially played in this game against OU uh, simply because Florida's offense, uh, without all the opt-outs, was so good that if Oklahoma went to sleep offensively for a quarter or so, Florida, even against Oklahoma's defense, is going to be able to score some points. And so uh, OU just couldn't afford to do that. So I still thought OU was going to win. Uh, before the opt-outs, and that mainly had to do with the fact of rhythm, momentum, quick turnaround, which I think favors Oklahoma. And I think they understand, not to mention all the prep time that OU's going to have on Florida, uh, I think OU just simply understands what's at stake. And it's not necessarily pride. It's not necessarily winning your bowl game. They understand what's at stake because the vast majority of these players are going to be here next year. And they want to start off the season right. They want to I feel like they want to shed the skin of this terrible year, not necessarily on the field, but everything that went into it. Hey, let's let's get the ball rolling for 2021. That's what this game really represents. And whether that's fair or unfair to Florida because they're not going to have a bunch of talented players, I'm sorry. But I went from OU winning, you know, by like 7 points, basically the same score that we've seen all season long out of this team to I think I said on the podcast yesterday either 38 14 or 40 or 41 14 and I still feel very bad saying that mainly from Florida side because I have a lot of respect for Kyle Trask 
I feel like he should be able to muster more than 14 points, but I feel like the quick turnaround, the lack of prep time for Florida, the lack of give a damn potentially that's going to be hovering over them, all their opt-outs, I feel like they're just about to run into a buzzsaw that is Oklahoma because this is going to be an OU team that understands what's at stake, and what's at stake here is the big prize next season, and it begins um, in Dallas in the Cotton Bowl. That's well said, and I just thought of this. This this could be the perfect situation for this Oklahoma team that we have seen jump out and play really well in the first quarter and get multiple score leads. Is this the perfect situation for that, considering that let's say that happens in this game? How quickly is Florida going to just quit? That If they get down in this game, they're already without all these players. Are they a team that is going gonna, is gonna to quit and potentially make it uh, this sound. This sounds a little too simplistic, but easier for Oklahoma to even if they kind of go through a lull, maybe that won't happen because if a Florida team kind of stops caring with 14 minutes to go in the second quarter because they trail 21 to three, maybe then that plays more into the hands of Oklahoma. And so they're 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 fat. The 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 one good thing about this Oklahoma offense, you could say, in defense is that they start fast this year, and that that could be a, an ultimate advantage for them in this game. I just I just kind of thought about that. I don't know how, if that's going to factor in at all. Yeah, I mean, think? that certainly could be a factor because we've seen Oklahoma basically every single game start off incredibly well, get off to rhythm. Uh, I mean, basically, Lincoln Riley scripted is unbeatable. Once you get off the script is when things can get, you know, a little bit dicey, and, and uh, according to the opponent or whoever the opponent is, oh, you either wins close continues to win big or they lose. So uh, Florida talent-wise is, is, of course, good enough to, once they get past the script of Oklahoma or Oklahoma gets past their own script, Florida could potentially rebound. But, you know, all these factors that we've talked about a thousand times on this podcast and on other, other podcasts and just basically in the lead-up to this game, the give-a-damn factor is it's very much up there. So if OU jumps out like they did against Oklahoma State, you know, they score on their first drive, then maybe force a quick three and out or even get a turnover, and then it's 14 to nothing in the blink of an eye. I think you could seriously start understanding, yep, it, Florida's just, they're just going to wave the white flag. Uh, because again, like I have said, OU really understands what's at stake. So I, I don't feel like the go to sleep factor will be there. I feel like everybody's going to be engaged, and especially if they start off great, I think it's just going to add more fuel to that fire. Um, I, I guess, I, I think the easiest way to say this, if OU starts to get a little stagnant on offense, but let's, let's think that, let's say that Reeves Munchow doesn't have a good punting performance. I think then you could see Lincoln Riley have more of an onus to, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to put my, keep my foot on the gas because quite frankly, I think a big factor why the offense went to sleep, um, in terms of the play calling was, Reese Munchie had a good game against Iowa State, and Lincoln Riley was like, I can just play field position and defense and win this game, and they did. Mm-hmm. That's a deep, deep, deep you know, cut, I, by the way. <laughs> that is a deep, deep, deep cut. You know, I mean, for obvious reasons, I hope Oklahoma jumps out to a lead early and, and jumps fast, but because, I mean, that will obviously help their chances of winning the game. But I also want to see that happen because then it will give them an opportunity to see if they can bury a team like Florida – in a game that can potentially catapult them into 2021, considering that's been the thing that they cannot do. They, they have let teams back in games. If they can jump out against a Florida, even though they're down all those players, and keep their, their boot on the throat and play a full 60 minutes, I think that, I mean, 
they need to see themselves do that against not Missouri State, <laughs> against not Kansas. Yeah. Even if it's a, a team like Florida that's missing guys, Kyle Trask is still good. So I mean, he's it's not their it's not their backup quarterback. So it, I I think that can go a long way, and I I do hope that happens actually because I want to see this team in a situation where they have a great chance to to crush a team, and I want to see them do it. Because if they don't, that's going to tell me a lot too. Yeah, and quite frankly, uh, I, I'm sick and tired of watching this team uh, dominate a game, and then I'm like, oh, I can kind of relax and enjoy myself, and then 10 minutes later, it's like, oh, this is going to be a game, isn't it? Great. <laughs> well, I, I will say, to close this bad boy out, Grant's a little bit more on your side when it comes to predictions. Uh, some other comments he he passed along to me to pass along to you listeners. He says that he thinks that at this point, because of the opt-outs, Florida is OU's easiest bowl opponent since the 2011 Insight Bowl against Iowa because he thinks that all these pass catchers being gone is just absolutely crippling for the Florida offense. And Grant also says that he's extremely confident that Oklahoma is going to have very little trouble winning this game. So I will allow you to comment on any of that if you would like to, Brady, and if not, that is fine as well. Yeah, I actually heard uh, Keegan did a little spot on – 107.7 yesterday and I think he said the same thing that this is OU's worst bowl opponent since uh the Insight Bowl in Iowa now this sounds oh wow so 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 Grant might have just totally ripped off oh Keegan. who knows that you is, know the way I try to is not the way cool. I try to th how I go to sleep at night because whether I'm covering the thunder because you know everybody that covers the thunder has a podcast and I listen to a few of them what I try to tell myself, hey, if Royce Young thought this and I thought it too, at least I'm on probably the same mental path. You know, like that's a good thing. So right, uh, right. shout out Keegan Renault, as silly and dumb as he, I'm just kidding. And uh, Grant is awesome <laughs> all the time. Uh, but this might sound silly because of the result. And it also might sound silly because of what they ultimately, ultimately became. But if you remember that Clemson team that smacked OU in the who gives a damn Russell Athletic Bowl was not good. And that quarterback that they had, whose name I cannot remember, was not good. And OU in 2014 made them look incredible, and it was a good springboard for them as a program, blah, blah, blah. We know what Clemson became. Um, it's semantics, though. Um, I think talent-wise, you can probably make a lot of comparisons to the Auburn team in that Sugar Bowl. Uh, but I think the strength, obviously, for Florida is on offense, whereas the strength for Auburn was on defense, but it's kind of just they counterbalance each other out because the other side was fairly average. Um, so you can kind of perhaps expect a similar game to the Sugar Bowl against Auburn where it was somewhat competitive in the first half, but it was a game that OU was simply controlling or they were the ones shooting themselves in the foot, and then at one point they wake up and then – the floodgates open. So it should either be exactly like that or OU, like you said, should just get out to a quick lead and Florida kind of calls it from that point on. Uh, the last thing on the cotton bowl and why I am, I'm not fully going to agree that this is the worst team they played in the bowl since Iowa, because I'm, yeah, I buy a lot into one, I think the SEC, that even the backups are going to be pretty darn talented. Yes. So I, I realize the, the lack of prep time does factor in. So that's kind of the wild card that, um, I mean, if, if these guys aren't used to being starters, okay, that's, that's definitely a big deal. But as the game goes on, they get more in, used to the game flow. These are all athletes that played, you know, in, in high school. So, like, they'll probably kind of get a feel for the game. And because Kyle Trask can put the ball pretty much wherever he wants, 
there's still an opportunity for, for them to move the football against Oklahoma. So that, that concerns me. And also, again, it's only a three-point spread. <laughs> I, I know that the spread's based off of like, the money coming in. So like, they want to get a, a you know, buyback on each side. So uh, for whatever reason, there's not a whole lot of money coming in anymore on Oklahoma. Uh, and it's not going up to four. It's not going up to five. It's not up at seven and six. So for some reason, people are thinking that this Florida team still is going to be competitive in this game. Iowa, back in 2011, I had to look this up, obviously. Uh, Oklahoma was favored by two touchdowns over that Iowa team. Uh, Oklahoma's not favored by two touchdowns over this Florida team. So I, if take, take that for what whatever you buy into the, the Vegas spreads. I buy a lot into it, obviously. So that that's why I, I just I will not sit here and buy that this is the worst team they played in a bowl game since 2011 because of that. And also, I mean, I mean, Boise State was a seven and a half point dog to OU and West Virginia was like a six point dog to yeah. OU. And those were and, and this is probably a better Oklahoma team, I think, than those teams probably were. Eh, the Sam Bradford led team was was pretty good from what I remember. But so, I mean, again, it's different teams, different years, different numbers. But I do think it's. It's it's somewhat relevant in this. Um, uh, that that's it for this episode, Brady. I will open the floor to you here at the end. If you want to say or plug anything before we go, go ahead and do it now. Uh, yeah, you did a good job at the beginning. Uh, Keegan Renault and I do the Inside OU podcast. Um, we do two podcasts a week during the season, but that's of course going to change since this is the last game. I think we're going to do maybe one free podcast a week, and then that kind of goes into we also have a Patreon page. You can find it Patreon dot com slash inside underscore OU. Um, we put our post game immediate post game thought podcast up on the Patreon page. And then Keegan uh, for the extra dollar a month, will put out his film review and we're dumb. And we've been doing it an archaic way the entire season. And then we realized, Oh, we can just share screens on zoom and make it a video to watch, which is much more appealing for film review than just reading it. It's also easier for Keegan. So we unfortunately found that out far too late. The Big 12 Championship film review is up. I think Keegan's actually working on some Florida stuff for today to consume and then tomorrow before the game if you're interested. But that's there. Um, Twitter at Brady Does Sports for more crazy Austin Stogner got hurt because of Lincoln Riley conspiracy theory tweets. <laughs> and if you're interested in Thunder basketball, I cover the Thunder like Lee, like you cover OU football, like not a crazy person. I cover the Thunder like a, a wannabe journalist, I guess. So, uh, um, OKC82 podcast is my Thunder podcast that I do with Christine Butterfield and other people from the franchise. So those are all there. But also, I did want to say I was super bummed that you guys went down to one podcast a week, but I certainly understand it. Um, I love West of Everest. It's probably my favorite OU podcast going. And uh, you and Grant do a great job. And hopefully you guys still do it. But as someone who does multiple podcasts, you know, every single day, it seems like, it is an ass kick, but I appreciate the work that you guys do. You know, the very kind words, and it's very appreciated. And I, it, it means the world to, to Grant and I that, you know, that you're listening to it and, and you even, you know, say that it's your favorite one. That I, I, you're not the first person that we've heard. Uh, and a lot of listeners on the Facebook page have mentioned that, you know, they wish there was, there was more episodes. Um, I, I get it. I, you know, maybe in the future we'll go back to it. It's just this this year was uh, it's it's an excuse. You know, I, I'm, it's a dumb times of plague are and, hard and, for everybody. So I, I understand. Yeah. I'm just so, being a selfish listener. No, no, it, it 
you're you're being a selfish listener, but you're also being very kind. <laughs> no, and 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 I definitely appreciate it, and obviously appreciate you uh, taking geez almost two hours of your time today to, to sit here and and fill in for Grant. So that that means a lot to uh, to me, and I know Grant really appreciates you you stepping in. So thank you of course, for that. I mean, it's gonna be the last time we're gonna be able to talk about OU football in the current state. After this, it's gonna be all about what's gonna happen in twenty one. So um, I'm always down to talk about uh, OU football, but I, I will mention real quick. Um, for the older listeners out there, I do love history. Like I said, I put out on Twitter, I think yesterday, I think OU is going to win. Obviously we've talked about that for two hours, but if OU loses my 1978 orange bowl vibes that I feel in the back of my head will make sense because I don't, I don't blame you if you don't know about that Lee, but OU went into the orange bowl against Arkansas as a multiple touchdown favorite. Arkansas suspended about half their team. And all you, all you had to do was win that game, and they were the national champions. And then Arkansas beat them 31-6. to So the factor is still out there that Florida can oh win gosh. this game. Do not think that I, I'm going into this arrogantly confident, cocky, whatever. I think OU should win and win comfortably, but that's why they play the football games. Wow, that's a great nugget. And when it comes to Oklahoma history, I uh, compared to you, it sounds like and feels like I'm a little. I have a lot of time so on I my hands. That's all that, that means. <laughs> All right, enjoy the Cotton Bowl. Make sure you listen to the Inside OU podcast for Brady's thoughts after the game, also Keegan's thoughts. And uh, after the game, Grant and I will be back, hopefully hopefully by Thursday of this week uh, on New Year's Eve with our postgame thoughts as well. So until then, for Brady Trantham, I am Lee Benson. This is West of Everest.